Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand-check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcasting Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. He did a dream, a dream, though what's harder to live? Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome on into another edition of the Hoopers Log. It is November 5th, 2015, your Thursday edition of the Hoopers Log. And yes, this show will be up on the CLNS Radio app. My name is Simo Buckets here for CLNS Radio on the Hoopers Log. And yes, we have a jam-packed show. If you didn't watch the NBA last night, I don't know what the heck you were doing because last night was one of the crazier nights in the NBA that we've seen in quite some time. It was one of the best nights in the NBA. Multiple games went down to the wire. Multiple games were unbelievable when it came to outcomes. And I am fired up about a certain individual basketball player today that I am going to be ranting on for quite some time. And it's going to be a deep, thorough, investigative rant. I, I, I'm fed up with this certain basketball player, and it will be on later on in the show, and you'll know who I'm talking about. Later on, and if you've seen all the previews on Twitter, you know exactly who I'm talking about. But I'll get to him way later. For now, we're going to preview, we're going to recap kind of what happened last night. We're expected to have Tony Jones on the show, a Utah Jazz basketball insider. He should be calling in here any minute, and when the moment he comes on the show, we will get it going. I have Andrew Norris here on the line. I don't know how long he's going to be here with us today, considering this show is expected to go for quite some time. My rant will take some time. Uh, but outside of that, we will be recapping today's games. Seven and three last night in the NBA that I went. I think I think Andrew went about the same thing, and we had a pretty successful night when it came to predicting basketball in the world of the NBA yesterday. It was a great night of basketball, and I'm excited to break it down. Andrew, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. I'm hoping to hear from Tony Jones pretty soon here. Fun night of basketball last night. Uh, yeah, it was, pretty, night. it was a pretty good pretty good night of basketball overall I mean yeah the Utah Jazz struggled a little bit we'll talk about them and talk about their uh two and two start we'll obviously talk about some of the expectations they have for this year and uh we'll get that going uh let's get it going Tony Jones I believe Tony Jones is on the line hey Tony how you doing I'm good how you guys doing thanks for having me it's really good to hear your voice man um you know we were watching this Utah Jazz game last night and um, the one thing I wanted to mention before I let you talk about kind of the expectations for this team coming in, and Andrew's got questions too, but the one thing I wanted to just say is, boy, is Damian Lillard just a monster? This guy was unbelievable last night. What did you see from him, and what did you see from this Jazz team? 
you know, I, I saw I saw a guy that got really comfortable in the first quarter, uh, and it wasn't just him. It was C.J. McCollum, too. I mean, both of those guys, you know, they just destroyed the Jazz. They they combined for 62 points. Lillard had a season-high 35, and McCollum had 27. Um, they were both really efficient. They just got really comfortable um, within the first five to seven minutes, and, you know, when they got comfortable, they just started hitting shots all over the place, and, you know, they were making threes. They were staring the point guards down and making threes. They were getting into the lane and making teardrops. And then by the end of the game, uh, they had stretched the jazz out so much that they were doing whatever they want. They had all the space that they wanted, and there were wide-open three-point shooters uh, in the corners. And, you know, it, it was just an ugly defensive performance all the way around for the jazz. Um, but you can't take away uh, anything from Lillard and McCollum. They were sensational last night. Andrew, what do you got on? Andrew, what kind of questions you got? Yeah, yeah, the the, the Trailblazers have really impressed me so far this year. Now, uh, coming into this year, when we were doing our preview shows, me and Chris were both incredibly high on your Jazz team over there in Utah. Um, you know, Chris had Rudy Gobert at his uh, third team All NBA. I went incredibly bold and put Gordon Hayward in there. You know, neither of those guys looked like uh, you know All NBA players so far this year. Uh, my first question for you would be, is Rudy Gobert ever going to become a center who can who can truly dominate a game, not just in offensive re- offense, or, excuse me, shot blocking and rebounding, but maybe get up to a 15-point-per-game type night? Because right now he's averaging, I, I believe, right around seven or eight points. Last night he went for eight points. And we just have seen no offensive game out of, out of a guy who's, you know, he can dunk while standing. He doesn't have to jump. So, is there? Do you think this guy's game will ever develop into being a true uh, powerhouse center, maybe down on the block or develop a mid-range? Well, the one I, I, I'll agree with you and I'll disagree with you. I agree with you on Hayward. He hasn't played well um, at all to this point this year. I disagree with you with Gobert. I think that um, he's been in, in three of his four games. I mean, he's been pretty dominant. I mean, coming into last night. Uh, he was, uh, I believe, third in the NBA in rebounding. He was averaging 13.3 rebounds a game. And I believe he was second in the NBA in block shots. And he even had four block shots last night. So, you know, Gobert's been Gobert. Um, and now, but Hayward hasn't been Hayward. He's not shooting the ball well. He's not take, taking care of the ball. Um, you know, he's, he's just not in a rhythm offensively at all. And, and the Jazz... Uh, really need him to uh, kind of snap out of it and and give back to him being kind of the nineteen five and five guy that he was last year. Um, you know, in terms of uh, Gobert offensively, you know, I think that you know he's a guy that could probably at some point in his career average twelve to fourteen points a night. Um, he, I don't know if he's there yet. Um, but, you know, he's he's a guy that, you, I mean, you don't really need that out of him. I mean, you need him to be dominant um, on the boards and you need him to be dominant in the paint. And he's a guy um, that, for my money in, in the NBA, he's one of the very best rim protectors in the league and he's one of the very best uh, just overall defenders in the league. I mean, and, and there's a difference. Um, you know, you look at Roy Hibbert and, you know, he's a very, very good rim protector, but he's a so-so overall defender and you know Rudy Gobert is a, a great rim protector um, but he's a great defender as well 
You know, so I think that he's been – I think that Gobert's been Gobert, and I think that he's been really, really good um, um, to this point this year. I think that he was kind of rendered obsolete a little bit last night because um, because Lillard and, and, and McCollum were so good. Um, but I think that overall he's been very, very good. Yeah, now, yeah. One I, thing I, I wanted to, one thing I wanted to mention real quick on 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 this team, and, and we were talking on on Twitter when we were trying to hook this this time up, and you mentioned how you come to you go to shoot around and you're around the team more often than not. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you was, what is your insight on this team when you go to shoot around? When you've been watching them in the, in the preseason, off season, other things of that nature, are, do you think the expectations for this team are real? for this season and for uh, a couple more seasons to come. Have you seen the growth from year in and year out? Um, what, what have you, what is your take on this team knowing that you've been around them, uh, uh, you know, as much as you have, it, it, does it look like they're gelling? Does it look like they're connecting as a, as a group? Does it look different than years past? I mean, this was the first time they mentioned on the broadcast last night that they had uh, after besides the loss that they had been above 500, and been uh, relative in the NBA in, in almost three years. Is, does it look like there's finally a culture change there in Utah? Well, I think the culture change began um, in earnest last year when when Quinn uh, Snyder came in, and you know I think that you know once uh, I think that the team really gelled once that they traded Ennis uh, Cantor uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and you know being around them, you know I know there are expectations in the media for them to you know, uh, be a playoff contender. And I, I uh, certainly have been, you know, vocal in saying that they they have a, they should have a chance to make the playoffs this year. And I, I stand by that. I think that a team uh, that defends that well typically wins a lot, finds a way to win a lot of games. And, you know, they haven't played well offensively uh, at all to this point this season. But, you know, I, I think that, um, they'll snap out of that, and I think that they'll figure out a way. Um, you know, I, I just think that they defend so well. But I think that, you know, those those type of teams, you know, the Memphis uh, Grizzlies of the world and the Indiana Pacers, uh, when they were elite defensively, you know, they found a way to win games. So, you know, I think that they'll have a chance to make the playoffs, and I think that internally, you know, being around them and knowing those guys, I mean, you know, those guys want to make the playoffs. Gordon Hayward and, and Derek Favors are, are both in year six. And, you know, they're in year six, and they've had one playoff run where they were kind of ancillary pieces. You know, they want to lead this team to, uh, to the postseason, you know, by carrying it on their back. And, you know, I think that, you know, within within the Jazz, they have an expectation of themselves to compete this year. Uh, and give themselves give themselves a chance, and I think that you know that's that's the intention. Um, I think that last night was an ugly game, but you know it was game four of the regular season. I think there's 78 more right. else to go, so you know it'll be interesting to see uh, how they bounce back tonight against the Denver Nuggets. Andrew, you got any more questions for him? Yeah. Uh, now something we also discussed, and you know this player gets more and more unrealistic for this team every night. By the way, his team's playing. Uh, we, we've discussed, you know, the Jazz feel like they're one piece away and maybe a year of growth from being a, a, a legit team in the Western Conference. Maybe not a team that's going to compete for an NBA Finals, but a team that's going to compete for for a playoff a playoff series win. Uh, 
Now, is there anything you've heard around the league from the people you talk to that this team, if they really get going, would they be interested in trying to get a bigger name, somebody who can really put the team on his back, especially if uh, a guy like Gordon Hayward doesn't step up and, you know, stop shooting 35% from the field? You know, I think that um, the motto, the MO of Dennis Lindsay, uh, the jazz, who's, who's the Jazz general manager, is – you know that he's um they really kind of they stripped everything down and kind of built from the from the ground up and you know their MO they're not a, they're not a team he's not a GM that's going to go out and I don't think you know and try to you know trade pieces to get bigger pieces and so I I, I don't see him trying to trade um for for you know somebody I think that they're really High on Rodney Hood, they're really high on Gordon Hayward, obviously, and 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 Derek Favors, and they think that those guys can can be their core offensively. And you you even add uh, Alec Burks to that. You know, the one thing that you know you have to remember is that you know I, I think that they really thought that Dante Exum was going to make a significant leap this year um, at the point guard spot, and and if he's everything that uh, they think that he can be, uh, you know, you're talking about a guy that can. That that could um, by the time he's 25, kind of be an all-star level point guard in this league. You know, he's six six. He defends. He's athletic. Uh, he's really cerebral in, in the way he plays the game, and, and you know he can really, you know, he really showed improvement in his one summer league game that he played um, this year before he got hurt. So, you know, I think that that injury kind of, I don't want to say set them back for this year. Um, but they're kind of treading water at the point guard spot and trying to just make the best of what they have at the point guard spot this year. Um, you know, they don't want to trade for a starting point guard because they really believe in Exum, and they don't want to have Exum have to come back from his ACL tear next year and have to compete for minutes. So they're really being careful uh, about what they do and how they handle uh, the point guard spot this year. But, you know, I think that they like their core and I think that they like the talent that they have, and I, I think that they're they're ready to move forward to with what they have in place. Right, and me being a Michigan guy, uh, I'm always rooting for Trey Burke over there. But, uh, you know, I'm going to let Chris ask his question he's got for you, then I got one more question I'd like to ask all our guests before they get going. So, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say, again, we're here on the Hoopers log. Tony Jones is in the building. We got him. Uh, talking Utah Jazz here. Uh, again, if you're listening, if you want to call in, 323-642-1558 here in the FanDuel studio. And uh, Tony Jones, again, uh, you know, after we've been talking about the Utah Jazz for a little bit, the one thing I wanted to say is tonight is kind of a, again, early in the year, but it's kind of another litmus test as this team goes into Denver, both teams 2-2. Two and two. Obviously, the, Western, the, the Northwest Division is really up in the air outside of maybe a team in Oklahoma City who looks like the better team out of all of them. But it looks like it's up in the air. And, and this is one of those games where you've got youth on the, on the Nuggets and you've got Emmanuel Moutier and uh, Kenneth Fareed, obviously, and then Derek Favors and then the bunch in uh, Utah, obviously, Rudy Gobert and, and Gordon Hayward. What do you see from tonight's game going into that environment in Denver where you have the altitude issue, where you have – the difference of play on a back-to-back night for this young team early on. What do you see from tonight? Well, the, the Jazz play at altitude, so the altitude issue is not an issue for them. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, 
you know, obviously on paper, I think that the Jazz are a better team. Um, they're the more established team right now. Um, but, you know, they, they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to play. I mean, you know, Danilo Gallinari proposes issues for, for this Jazz team because of his ability um, at the power forward spot to stretch you out. And, you know, Emmanuel Moutier has proven to be dynamic, even then, you know, four, four or five games in. You know, he's proven to be a dynamic point guard. So, you know, it, it, the Jazz are going to have to defend. They're going to have to play. They're going to have to play well on both ends of the court. Um, at this time of year, you know, in the NBA, you know, they're, they're really no easy wins. I mean, everybody's playing hard. Everybody's relatively healthy. You know, everybody's relatively um, everybody's relatively buoyant on, on what kind of season that they can have. So, you know, there are no easy games at, the, at, this, this, at this point of the season. So the Jazz are going to have to play well on both ends of the floor uh, if they want to come out with a win, especially over, the, uh, over a division foe. So, you know, I think that, you know, the one thing, being in the locker room last night, knowing this team, I mean, they're eager uh, to get out and, 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 and you know, and play well, especially after throwing up a stinker, the stinker that they did last night. Um, nobody was happy about the way they played last night. And, you know, they're, they're anxious to come out and kind of take on the challenge of, of bouncing back tonight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then my uh, my my question, like I said, that I like to ask everybody who comes on the show, I like to put them on the spot. And it's always controversial no matter who you pick. There's no right or wrong answer mm-hmm. at the time of the year. What is your NBA Finals prediction for the 2015-2016 season and who you got winning? Um, well, I, uh, I got Cleveland coming in from the East and, um, I got San Antonio coming in for the West and I think that, uh, I think that San Antonio, uh, wins it. I think that, you know, they're, they're as good a team as, as, as there is in the league. And I think that, um, I think that they're a nightmare matchup for, for Golden State. I thought that, Golden State was kind of luckily, kind of lucky to to miss out on them last year, um, you know. So it'll be interesting uh, to see how to, how that develops. But I think that uh, if San Antonio uh, wins the West and Cleveland wins the East, I think that I think that San Antonio wins another title. Well, I like to hear that. I'm a big time Spurs fan. And I've been a fan since the trio began. Before that, uh, it's it's been a ride as a Spurs fan. It's it's really an, a, a different feel from a sports perspective. Tony, thank you again for calling in and uh, and, and giving your insight on this Jazz team. We'll, we'll we'll hook up another time. We'll hook up another time sometime throughout the year to see where they're at. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate thank, it. Thank you. Thanks. Tony. Absolutely. No problem. Thank thank you so much. Thank you guys. Have a great day. No problem. You too. All right, that was Tony Jones, insider of the Utah Jazz. Uh, he, he goes to shoot around quite often, and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this team. As you heard, he goes in the locker room. He's around the team. And, and my take on this game last night before we – and this will be our first game we, we recap from last night, and we were talking about it a little bit with Tony Jones, as you heard. This Utah Jazz team, they lost 108-92 to the Trailblazers again. Damian Lillard, I, I watched the recap of this game last night. I'm telling you something, Andrew, and I know your thoughts on Damian Lillard, and I know your opinion, and believe me, I respect it based on the fact that what I've seen from Damian over the past couple of seasons, I've seen the guy do what he's done. 
I agree with you. He's overrated to an extent. But I'm telling you, this first week and a half of the season, Damian Lillard looks like he's trying to put his hat in the MVP conversation. Again, another outstanding night last night, three assists and four rebounds. And again, C.J. McCollum went off again last night. This guy had another outstanding game, 27 points. He went 10 for 13 from the field in 35 minutes, only three turnovers, four assists. And then Mason Plumley had an outstanding rebounding performance as he had a double-double, 16 rebounds and 12 points. I'm telling you, this team, I don't think they're anything major, and I don't think they're going to be anything competitive when it comes to the playoff talk. But you talk about a team that can ruin some teams' nights. And example A was last night against this Jazz team. And what do you, what do you think from this game? It was, it was an, a drubbing from Damian Lillard. He, like, like uh, Tony Jones said, he got comfortable. C.J. McCollum looks like a guy who can just flat-out score. This is a team that really could sneak up on some people. Again, I don't think they're going to win 30 games, but I think they're going to be a team that's going to scare some teams throughout the season. What do you see from this game, Andrew? Uh they're, they're making me look foolish every time they go out on the floor. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard has looked unbelievable average of 27 points, I think something like seven assists. Um, and, you know, they they have a winning record. I, I said they might not win 15 games this year. That was something I said on this show. Uh, they're already yeah. fifth of the way there after five games. Uh, it's, it seems, like you said, I still don't see 30 wins or, you know, I – I think they could get up towards 25, but right now they're all playing out of their minds, like literally every single player. I mean, Mo Harkless went for 15 and 10. Uh, CJ McCollum dropped another 27 points. These players are playing out of their minds. They are going to come back down to earth. It always happens. Uh, you know, it's it's a team that, like I said, 2025 20, wins should be their goal. They surpassed that. That is phenomenal. Uh, but on the Jazz side, I you know they haven't came out with that same presence they had the second half of last year. The second half of last year, I felt like they came out and they were going to bully you. They didn't care if they followed you. They didn't care if they got fouled out because then the next guy was going to come in and bully you. That was only during the first second half of the year. First half of the year felt a lot more like what we're seeing out of the Jazz right now. Uh, Gordon Hayward shooting 35% from the field. Uh, Derek Favors isn't, you know, he's not playing great. He's not playing terrible. I mean, he's playing, he, he's playing good. Uh, you know, he's playing. If he plays this way the whole year, that that'll really help the team. Averaging seventeen and a half, nine rebounds. Uh, but you know, he he needs to become more of a presence. And I don't want to explain that the wrong way because I really like him as a player, and he really right. has been good this year. But but a presence where you see him come on the floor and you know you got to stick a guy maybe two on him. So that's what I really think Derek Favors' potential is, and that that would let this team up to a whole other level. Um, as I said to Tony Jones, I you know I don't think Rudy Gobert's been playing bad. He's been playing at that All NBA level. The three point seven five blocks per game is ridiculous. But I would really right. need to see him get up towards that ten points per game before I can say that this team's a playoff team. But you know the main takeaway is that the Jazz just didn't look like that that dominating physical presence we saw at the end of last year and the Blazers are just playing out of their mind right now yeah it's it's uh if, if you get a guy like Damian Lillard and again Damian Lillard is very streaky the thing with Damian Lillard is if he can get on a roll he is he is just he is scary because his step back game is 
I'm not going to just say he is. It's very similar to James Harden. When he takes a step back, it looks a lot like James Harden, and he can get on that role to a similar degree of what James Harden can do. It's not that he is James Harden. It's the fact that he can create space like James Harden. That's a scary thing when you have a guy like that who all he, he has nothing to lose this year. Damian Lillard has heard all the rumors. If you watch his face, you watch his expressions on the court, you know that this guy has seen and heard enough this year about how his team's going to do nothing. His reactions to, to how he plays are outstanding. This guy has nothing to lose. This guy is playing like he has nothing to lose, like he has no expectations. And when you give an NBA player like that who's seen multiple playoff appearances and success that kind of opportunity and that ability to grow as, a, as an individual, you're, you're just letting the cat out of the box. And that's what he's doing right now. He's just playing out of his mind, like you said, and like the rest of the team, they're playing out of their mind. Speaking out of their mind, you have, you have a guy – and Evan Fournier, again, another outstanding performance by the Orlando Magic. One and four. This is the best one and four team in all of basketball. I'm telling you, they are about, and again, six points away from, from 4 and 0 coming into this game. They're about, now they're about 11, 10, 15 points from being 5 and 0. They lost to the Rockets in, well, if you really want to be honest, they're about actually seven points because if they would have scored one more point in this game in regulation, they would have beat the Rockets. But I digress. The point is, Magic lose to the Rockets. Rockets get their second straight victory, 119-114. to Evan Fournier for the Magic, 29 points, six rebounds, and four assists. A guy who comes off the bench to cover some time for Victor Oladipo, and he played another outstanding game. Again, James Harden having a pretty decent game. Dwight Howard, 23 points, 14 rebounds, two assists, playing the old Dwight Howard that we've seen in the past. But the Houston Rockets getting the victory in their second straight win. Uh, what have you see, What did you see from this one, Andrew? And what is your take on this Magic team, man? They're looking. They're looking really good considering they're one and four. Oh, I get really excited when I see stat lines like Dwight's last night, especially when he goes ten for ten from the field. Hundred percent shooting is my favorite thing. I love high efficiency shooting. I think that's why I'm such a big LeBron fan because throughout his career, you know, he's been always so high. Uh, Evan Fournier played 46 minutes last night in this OT game. So, you know, we don't want to we don't want to act like he's coming off the bench and, you know, getting minutes and dropping 29. He's still out there. Uh, you know, he had five he had five fouls, but 29, 6 and 4. Victor he outplayed Victor Oladipo far away from him. Uh, Aaron Gordon looked awesome. 7 of 11 from the field, 19 points, 8 rebounds. It was it was just you know, this this Orlando Magic team looks really good. Uh, you know, they're so close every game. But, you know, this year isn't the year that they were supposed to make the playoffs. They have one more year until then. So the first five games this season have been have been a huge learning experience for them. Um, you know, it, and it's a team that I really think could come into next year as a legitimate threat, especially after watching. Uh, but a game you know, that, that I really wanted to break down before before I head out here at one thirty was the Cavaliers versus the Knicks. Um, you know, the yeah, Cavaliers won by ten. Yeah, Cavaliers won by ten. This game was much, much, much closer than a ten point game. The Knicks played phenomenal again, just like they did against the Spurs. And not only that, Carmelo was six for eighteen from the field. And they, and they only lost by ten to these this Cavs team where, you know, LeBron didn't have a great game. Nobody really on the Cavs had a great game, but they, you know, you got to credit some of that to the Knicks here. Uh, you know, Sasha Bujicic looks like he belongs in the NBA again. It, it's this, yeah. this Knicks team is really fun to watch. 
Christoph Spazingis is awesome. He threw it down on Kevin Love on that tip slam. But, uh, you know, what what were the main things you saw in this game as far as not only how these players look, but especially on how you how far you think the Knicks have progressed so far this season? Well, watching this game was interesting because I saw Carmelo Anthony utilize his game the correct way. A guy where when the team needs a spark, they go directly to him and they expect him to make baskets and make buckets. And the one thing I saw, again, as you saw, as you said, I saw some execution. I saw a fast start. Obviously, that first quarter was just ridiculous with what the Knicks were doing defensively, offensively. That's what you're going to see from this team down the road, what you're going to see maybe next year and a year after that, where you're going to see a team really develop into a full uh, 48-minute team. Right now, they're just a 25-, 30-minute team where they're going to play you well half the game, and then they're going to kind of trend off. And they played well this entire game. They played up until, well up until the third quarter. Once they got to that fourth quarter, that's when they kind of uh, died off. But at the same time, this team really can compete with teams, a lot like the uh, Portland Trailblazers. They come up and shock some people right now with the way they're playing the game. Robin Lopez, again, he, he didn't play amazing, but when I did see him play, when that guy is two feet from the rim, I don't think there's anybody else in basketball other than maybe, like you said, Chris Stapps-Brazingis, which he's on the same team. But those guys right around the rim, they can finish with the best of any team in the league. And, I mean, when the ball gets in their hands, when they're right there underneath the basket, they will finish about 95% of the time. They never miss from that range, ever. And there's a lot of guys in the league where they try and make tip balls when, they, when the ball comes right off the rim and they try and dunk it or they try and tip it in or whatever, and they just miss badly. Those two guys just seem to put the ball in every single time. Melo has found a way to implement his game in the back. I just said that. But then there's these other guys on the team where they've just found a way to really, really utilize their game and play the triangle to the right right. Again, a 10-point loss is nothing. To, that's a really good game for the Knicks. Now, again, Cleveland's injured. They're 4-1 and one now. 4-1 and one without their starting lineup. Mo Williams clearly looks like a guy who's just going to push the basketball. And when they get Kyrie Irving back and they get Amon Shumpert back, you're going to see a whole different Cavalier team that might even be more dominant. They might have beat the Knicks last night by 15, maybe even 20 with those two guys on the court. But at the same time, you're looking at a, at a, a Cleveland Cavalier team that can really carry the load for now and play against pretty much anyone in the NBA. And, and it's a good thing to see the Knicks finally play well because I like to see the Mecca finally get up and, and get excited for a team. And the Cleveland Cavaliers are a team really – where, again, they're like you said, they're just the best team in the NBA. And we'll talk about a Hawks team in a bit, but, man, this Cavalier team is absolutely unbelievable. Andrew, you said you had to go? Yep, yep, I got to go. But real quick before I go, I just want to go over my picks for tonight. I got the Thunder over oh, no the problem. Bulls. I got, got the Timberwolves upsetting the Heat. I got the Mavericks beating the Hornets. I got a lot of money on the Jazz beating the Nuggets. And I got the Grizzlies taking it to the Trailblazers, holding Damian Lillard under 20. Player of the night tonight is going to be Andrew Wiggins. He's going to drop 35-plus tonight. Watch out for it, all right, Woo! guys? But I I am Sounds out good. of here. Go Andrew Wiggins. And to everybody listening and to you, Chris, peace. All right. Cool. Andrew's going to be gone. Obviously, he's, he's, a, he's a busy man. He's got to be working. And, again, we had a little bit of an early show today because of Tony Jones. But I have quite the rant to come. But us, let's, pre, let's recap the rest of these games. We've got about seven more games on the docket. We'll recap them real quick. And then I'll get to my preview, and then I'll get to my rant about a certain player, which I'll mention here in a little bit. Again, uh, I was talking about the Atlanta Hawks. They beat the, the, the Brooklyn Nets. Again, Brooklyn is now 0-5 on the season. The, the only winless team left in the NBA are 
close to winless team in the NBA. Obviously, the 76ers lost last night again to the Bucks, but the Atlanta Hawks won 101 to 87 over the Brooklyn Nets. Again, Al Horford with a great game, 21 8 and 4 on his performance. Brooklyn, obviously, they just they just cannot generate any offense. Again, they only scored 17 in the first and 17 in the fourth. That's not going to get it done against anyone in the NBA. Brooklyn Lopez, again, 27 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, another good game, but again, just not good enough to carry this team to a victory. If the rest of your guys around you are only scoring 60 points, you're not going to win ball games in this league, and that's what's happening to the Nets right now. They're just a shortage on offense. They don't have the talent to really compete with anybody, and they're just not there yet. They're just, they're just not, and, and they're going to downgrade from last year. Last year, I still don't know how they got into the postseason with 38 wins. This Atlanta Hawks team, 5-1, and one, one of the best teams in the NBA, in the Eastern Conference right now, and, and they're still just hanging on and playing a really good regular season brand of basketball. When you do that, you're going to just dominate in this league. That's just what's going to happen. And with what Mike Budenholzer has put together and with how this team is staying together considering the loss of Damari Carroll, they're still looking really, really good. And the Atlanta Hawks got a victory last night at home. They're now 2-1 and one at home, 5-1 and one on this young regular season. Uh, another game that I wanted to mention real quickly, the 76ers and Bucks. This was, again, a really close, really good competitive basketball game. The Bucks get the victory. They're now 2-3 and three after a quick 0-3 start in the regular season. They're now 2-3, 1-2 two and, three, one and two at home, their first home win of the season as they beat the 76ers, who are still winless at 0-4, 91-87. to 87. You got a little bit of what uh, Jabari Parker got. You got a little bit of return, return from him. Good news there to see him finally back on the court. Greg Monroe had a pretty good game, 18 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists for the win for Milwaukee. And then Jaleel Okafor came out again and had 21-6. and six. A couple blocks there for him as well. But the Bucks, they just couldn't quite get it done. I mean, obviously, this Bucks team had got, got off to a slow start. Finally, they got Jabari Parker back, who finally showed some minutes and a minutes restriction. He He's looking good. I mean, he's looking good. He's looking like a guy who can come out and finally, finally put together something where he can put together a regular season and do something with this year, considering a year ago he messed up his knee and couldn't come back into the regular season. So hopefully this will, this will jumpstart the Bucks and get them going on the road that they need for this year. Speaking of good matchups, these are the good games of the night that happened. There were, as we just mentioned, we just mentioned Blazers and Jazz, we mentioned Bucks and 76ers, Hawks, Nets. Uh, we talked about the Knicks and Cavaliers. We obviously just talked about that. Uh, Kings and Suns, again, I had the Kings winning in this one last night. I lost this game as well. The Suns, 118-97. to They absolutely dominated the Kings. Again, you can make the case now with these early season misses of uh, DeMarcus Cousins for this Kings team that DeMarcus Cousins really does look like a potential MVP candidate. This Kings team is just not – good enough when they don't have DeMarcus Cousins. When DeMarcus Cousins isn't on the floor, they are a shell of themselves. They're now 1-4, 0-2 on the road. Uh, the Suns are now 3-2 and two above that 500 mark, which might be a rare case this year. They might be above it more than not, but don't be shocked if this team's just average on the year. But again, 118-97, an absolute domination fest. They beat the, the Kings by 21 last night. Again, Eric Bledsoe, 19.6 rebounds, 8 assists, a really, really good game. Uh, and, and and the Kings, again, they just don't look like they have it when DeMarcus Cousins isn't there. And uh, seeing what this Suns team has done this year and making that improvement, they look like a team that, again, they can they can scare some teams in the Western Conference. They might even slip in as a potential eighth spot in that West if they keep playing the way they're playing. Some of the games of the night, the really, really, really good basketball games on the night. And, and, and there were quite a bit of them. The first one, on for your Celtics, Again, if you want to call into the Hooper's Log here through CLNS Radio, Boston-based programming, 
1558. The Boston Celtics played the Indiana Pacers, and this was an outstanding ballgame. Uh, from a fundamental perspective, from a fireworks perspective, not much there, but from a fundamental perspective, this was one of the more funner, best games to watch of the night based upon the fact that both teams ran their offenses to near perfection. The Indiana Pacers won 100-98, and the Celtics had a chance to win it at the end as uh, Jared Selinger missed a shot at the buzzer. It was one of those games where it was just it was just back and forth, back and forth the entire game. No one really had a major lead on one another. And at one point, I mean, it, it, it just – in the fourth quarter, it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you saw a fundamental team in the Indiana Pacers finally put it together as they beat a tough, gritty – and I'm telling you, this Celtics team – for those of you who are Boston Celtics fans listening to this, th- this Celtics team is really gritty. And that is a really good sign because finally they have a gritty team outside of the championship team in, in 08 and outside of the, champion- the, the championship contending teams in the late 2000s, uh, early t- uh, 10s. You know, this finally has a grit feel to them that they are willing to go out and play anybody as tough as they can. And again, they lost last night. They're 1-3. They're still near the bottom in the, in the Eastern Conference. But they're a team that can compete with anybody. I mean, really, if they just put together a solid game, they're going to they're gonna compete with anybody. And the Pacers got off to a slow start at 0-3. They've won back-to-back games now, 100-98. But this was an unbelievable game. If you have League Pass, I would suggest you watch the uh, condensed version of this game because it was outstanding to watch from many, many perspectives. It was one of those games that you just, you'll remember from the standpoint of fundamental basketball. Game of the night. I think game of the uh, not game of the night when it comes to uh, the the uh, the matchup, but when it comes to the outcome, it was definitely game of the night, and this was the play of the night by far. Quickly to Wall. Wall measures. Beal gets open for three. Dagger. They don't have any timeouts left, so like I said, Washington has to pick up three tenths of a second. And that'll do it. Bradley Beal's dagger three gives the Wizards the one, the win, 102 to 99. And you talk about a game that, again, as a Spurs fan, as the Washington Wizards beat the Spurs in Washington, 102-99, as you just heard there on the Washington Wizards uh, television network. You, you again, 102 to 99, three and one now are the Washington Wizards, three and two are the San Antonio Spurs. This was a game where back and forth, it was back and forth all night long. The Spurs had the lead for the most part. And in the fourth quarter, which is uncharacteristic of them, and as a Spurs fan, I can, I can relate to this, uh, uncharacteristic of them to see them do what they did against this Washington Wizards team, which really was to fold up. They folded up during the fourth quarter, not near the end of the fourth quarter. Near the end of the fourth quarter, they showed up and they finally played their game. Problem was, is they were up 10 in this game, up 8, up 10 going into the fourth quarter, and the Washington Wizards came out and put put up 36 on them in that fourth. That's uncharacteristic of the Spurs. They normally don't do that. But I will concede that this was one of the better games to watch during the regular season. Obviously, the Spurs were down three with about with about you know uh, ten with about eight seconds to go in the game. Tony Parker pulled up and made an unbelievable shot to tie it up to make it 99-99. It looked like it was going to go to overtime with about five seconds left. And then Bradley Beal hit the game winner, as you just heard. And it was one of those games where it was like, look, the better team won tonight. The better team won tonight. And the Washington Wizards played a really, really good game of basketball. They were, they were, they were just the better team all together all night long. And when you put them together like that and they played the way they did, you're asking to get beat. Bradley Beal, 25 points, four assists, and, and five rebounds. 
And Kawhi Leonard played a really good game. Talk about a step-back jumper from a guy. Kawhi Leonard looked outstanding uh, last night in his step-back game and stepping up as a player for this team to become a go-to scorer for the San Antonio Spurs. He looks like he's finally developing that offensive game that we all looked for here in San Antonio. And to see that, it's just, it's just finally relevant and something to talk about because he, he's always been a defensive presence. But when it comes to his offensive game, he's finally looking like he's taking that turn as a guy who can make it in his own offensive shot, which is big time because the Spurs haven't had that in a while. Marcus Aldridge had a couple of plays there and here and there that looked really outstanding. Obviously, you had Tim Duncan looking like the old Tim Duncan that we've seen in the past. Tony Parker made a couple of plays where I was like, man, he's coming back from the past, blast from the past. Manager Nobly made a couple of blasts from the past, blast from the past plays. It was I'm telling you, the Spurs, they looked impressive, but the Wizards, they looked even more impressive as Bradley Beal finally put, put together a complete game where he just finally stepped up and played the kind of Bradley Beal game that we all expected him to play and have expected him to play for the longest time. And it took him long enough, right? And he finally got it done in a big-time win as he gets the game winner over the San Antonio Spurs in Washington. Again, 102-99, to 99. another big-time game from last night, the Toronto Raptors over the Oklahoma City Thunder. This was one, the only whiteboard-worthy performance of the night. Russell Westbrook, he had 22 points, 16, yes, 16 assists. And believe it or not, the guy was absolutely dominant from on the game. Again, he had eight, he had eight turnovers. He had a 61 overall on the whiteboard-worthy performance. 22 points, 16 assists, five rebounds, and two steals. But that wasn't enough as the Raptors got it done. They're 5-0 and now, people. They're 5-0 and on this young season, 103-98. to They go into Oklahoma City and hand the Thunder their second loss of the season. They're back-to-back losses, by the way, as they lost to the Houston Rockets the other night, and obviously they lost to the Raptors tonight. It, DeMar DeRozan, in that fourth quarter, that's really what dictated the entire game. The Thunder went off in the third. They scored 42 points in the third quarter. They walked into the last quarter. And they were up by about eight or eight or nine points. And at one point in the fourth quarter, they're up by 10. There's a problem with this team that I've noticed with the Oklahoma City Thunder as they cannot find ways to close out ballgames. As you watch the uh, – they found ways to come back. They found ways to, to lose games. They're inconsistent in the fourth quarter. This team is either really good in the fourth quarter or they're really bad. You have Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, and you can only score 17 points in the fourth quarter – that's unacceptable. Now, I'll give credit to the, to the Raptors for saying this. DeMar DeRozan found a way to make his own shot. If you watch this game and the highlights of this game of DeMar DeRozan, this guy is one of the few guys, if not one of the only five guys in the NBA, that can create his own shot from almost anywhere on the basketball court, whether it's from three, whether it's within five feet in, whether it's from posting you up, whether it's from driving the rack. DeMar DeRozan knows how to score. He just is a surgeon on the basketball court from the shooting guard position. And if there's any other guy that's better than him, it's probably only James Harden when it comes to scoring the basketball at the guard position. He's right there. 28 points, five rebounds, three assists. Those 28 points, most of those came in the fourth quarter where he had to generate offense by himself to beat this Thunder team. That right there is a surgeon, people. And with what he did in that game, I'm telling you, it can carry this team as far as he wants to in the regular season. Really, as far as DeMar DeRozan goes is as far as this Raptors team has gone. I've said that from the get-go. I said that in the preseason, and I stick by that, and I will always stick by that. DeMar DeRozan is a guy that can score you 28 to 30 points a night because he's that good on the offensive side of the ball. He can generate his own offense multiple ways. 
Kevin Durant had a pretty good game, too. 27 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists. He had a really good game as well. The problem was the Thunder just couldn't hold it. They couldn't hold the lead. Kyle Lowry was playing great basketball. DeMar DeRozan was throwing the ball. But you talk about a guy who came over from the Spurs in Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph, when he was on the floor last night, he made that Raptors team spark like no other. He knifed through the lane a couple of times. He made a couple of great passes. Everything he did on the floor in limited time last night really, really sparked that Raptors team and got them going in the fourth quarter, and especially in the second quarter when they outscored the Thunder again 27-16. to Those kind of quarters is what's going to win you basketball games in the NBA. And with what the Raptors did in the fourth quarter last night, I'm telling you, this team can probably win 50 games if they find a way to just push the ball and play the way that Corey Joseph played last night, which was just unbelievable basketball. Corey Joseph was outstanding last night, and his his percentage from the floor and his ability to spread the floor and play the way he played really helped out this Raptors team, and that's really what helped them got the victory last night, 103-98 to over the Oklahoma City Thunder. The last game of the night, as we can get to, obviously the only other game that I haven't mentioned, and this is the game I really want to talk about the most. Obviously, if you could call in three, three, four, what is it? Three, two, three, six, four, two, one, five, five, eight is the number you're listening into the Hoopers log again. If you're listening to the to the podcast, I apologize. It's been really long. We'll get to a break here shortly. I'll give this preview. I'll give the recap of this game for the for the uh, for the the Oklahoma. Excuse me, the Los Angeles Clippers. Clippers, Los Angeles Clippers, and the Golden State Warriors. I apologize. I'm trying to map out all this stuff right now, as you can tell. But uh, this was a game that I think everyone was looking forward to seeing last night. The Warriors got the win, 112-108. to Steph Curry, again, 31 points, five rebounds, four assists. And Chris Paul had a better stat line, 24 points, nine assists, three rebounds. And the Clippers lost 108-112. to And here's the thing with that game, people. Late in the game, as I was watching it, it looked like both teams, and it wasn't just the it wasn't just the Clippers, but it was it was the the Warriors too. Both teams were getting just too pumped up and too excited. Chris Paul missed two free throws from the line last night. That doesn't happen. I think emotions were really high in this game. I think both teams were beyond out of their gourd excited to play one another and to want to beat one another, and they were just emotional. And I think they got a little too jazzed up. Both teams did. I think both teams late in the game got really jazzed up and didn't play as well as they wanted to play. And I think there were times where nerves got in the way of their shots, nerves got in the way of what they wanted to do, and that's why ultimately it just didn't work out for them. It didn't. And that's why the Warriors got the win. And the only guy that nerves don't affect him, shooting the ball-wise, Steph Curry. Steph Curry shot the ball great last night. Again, shooting well from three. I believe he had three of, he had seven of them, if I'm not mistaken. Again, it was another good performance by Steph Curry. He shot the ball well. And he did what he normally does, which, in my opinion, isn't that great. I have a rant about Steph Curry. I want to talk about Steph Curry here shortly. I'm going to give you my preview of the games for tonight, and then I'm going to get to my rant on him. Because I know you want to hear it. I know you want to hear Steph Curry, and you want to hear what I have to say about him, and it's a lot. And to be honest, with a lot of his antics, he bothers me a lot. I'm going to get to him shortly, but I'm going to preview for tonight's game real quick, and then I'm going to go to break. This is what I have. This is what I have for tonight. Thunder and Bulls. Bulls are favored by a point. Take the Bulls in this one. I know Andrew picked the Thunder, but take the Bulls in this one with the, with the minus one. I think they're going to take the Thunder because the Thunder played really tough last night against the Raptors. The Bulls are a tough team already. I think the Bulls can take it in Chicago. This is definitely game of the night if you want to watch a game. This is definitely the game to watch tonight. The Heat and Timberwolves. Andrew picked the Timberwolves to pick the upset. It wouldn't shock me if they did so. 
But I think the Miami Heat can get it done, and they're favored by four and a half. I think the Miami Heat can get this win and win it over a young bunch in Minnesota. Hornets and Mavericks, again, a light day on Thursday, five games in the NBA. We're in game number three with the Hornets and Mavericks. I I think the Mavericks uh, could win this game. It wouldn't shock me at all. But I think the uh, Charlotte Hornets are are the underdog in this one. They're they're underdogs by four and a half points. I would take Charlotte in this one from the standpoint of they can keep it close. If they play their best game, they can pretty much beat anyone in the NBA. They really can. Because if they play their best game and they spread the floor like we know they can, they're a really tough team. And if they do that in Dallas tonight, they'll get the win. Jazz and Nuggets, as we just mentioned with Tony Jones. Uh, Tony Jones made a good point that they might come out and win this game. I agree with him. I think they're going to get it done. Jazz are favored by two and a half. Take the two and a half. The Jazz are going to win this one over the Denver Nuggets tonight. And then the Grizzlies at Trailblazers, the second game on TNT. First game was obviously Oklahoma City and the, uh, at Chicago. Memphis at Portland tonight on TNT, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, 10.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are favored by three and a half. I would honestly take Memphis in this one. I think I think Memphis is going to get the win, and I think they're going to win rather big. It would not shock me if the Trailblazers found a way to just dominate. Damian Lillard, again, averaging 27 points and three rebounds, seven assists a game. You're talking about a guy, again, who just plays such a good brand of basketball recently, and I think the Grizzlies will win, but I, I think this will be a really good game. I really do, but I think the Grizzlies will get the win, and I think they'll win big. Again, you're listening to the Hooper's Log. That was a long, long segment. Expect a giant rant here in a little bit. We're going to go to break, but take a break real quick and take a good drink of water because we're going to be right back when we get to this rant. Yo, yo. I go by the name, I'm of your Pharrell, pusher. from the Neptunes, and I just want to let y'all know, I'm your pusher, the world, the world is about to feel, something, that I'm they never, self before, come on, from ghetto to ghetto, the backyard to yard, I sell it with one whip, and soft to hard, I'm the neighborhood pusher, call me subwoofer, cause I pump face like that jack, on the off the track, I'm heavy cuz, ball to your father, you can duck to the Fetty Gov, sorry my love, but I'm seeing through these eyes, Benz convoys with the wagon on the side, only big boys keep deuces on the ride, Gucci Chuck Taylor with the dragon on the side, man, I make a buck why scram, I'm trying to show y'all who the fuck I am, the Jews are flirting, be damned if I'm hurting, legend in two games like I'm Pee Wee Kirkland, platinum on the block with consistent hits, while Pharrell keep talking this music shit. It is rap, so the feds back up. Watch it, like my whip, like my chick toppling. Doing a buck six with me in the cockpit. Grinding, cousin, I got holes for a dozen. Even 11.5, if I see you, keep it coming in my way. That's just as heavy as my name. So much dough, I can't swear I won't change. Excuse me if my wealth got me full of myself. Cocky something that I just can't help. Especially when them 20s is spinning like windmills. And the ice 32 below minus the wind chill. Filthy, the word that best defines me. I'm just grinding, man. Y'all never mind me.
better stay in line with You see a nigga like me shining Grinding You know what I keep in the line Niggas better stay in line with You see a nigga like me shining my grind's about family, never been about fame Some days I wasn't able, there was always came Four and a half, or get you in the game Anything less is just a goddamn shame Guess the way, my watch got blue chips in the face Glock with two tips, whoever gets in the way Not to mention the hideaway that rests by the lake Consider my raw demeanor, the icing on the cake I'm, I'm green like a cripple Balance way through the hood, kids call me Mr. Sniffles Other hand on my nickel Plated whistle, one eye closed, I'll hit you As if I was slick, Rick, my aim is still an issue Lose your soul in, whichever palm I'm holding One'll leave you frozen, the other nodding doze And I'm grinding, Jack You are listening here on a Thursday, November 5th, 2015, and if you have made it to this point in the podcast, or if you've gotten to this point in the podcast, you're in for a treat. For those of you that are Steph Curry fans, I would advise you to either take notes or to back away from your your speaker. I would also advise you if you have Disney ears where if you can't handle the truth or if you can't handle the fact that what I'm about to say is accurate and um, is accurate and, and correct, then you're going to not like this at all. You're also not going to like the fact that maybe a dirty mouth will be said in this situation. So I will be using language that's inappropriate. So if you're underage or if you're anything of that nature, you're not going to like this at all. This isn't going to be your cup of tea. Steph Curry, this is my issue. Last night, Steph Curry said something to the nature of, after his team went 5-0 and last night, they are better than last year. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Tom Brady in the NFL is highly disliked among many people, right? Tom Brady is pompous, understandable. Tom Brady is a champion of multiple degrees, under, understandable. People don't like Tom Brady, and I understand why. I get it, because he's quote-unquote cheated, which in the case of the deflated ball situation, he didn't cheat because legally there's nothing to prove. Now, he broke his phone. There's multiple different reasons why people don't like Tom Brady. The reason why I get back to Tom Brady is because, think of it this way, when you're five games into an NBA season, that is about one-sixteenth of an NBA season, which is what? One game into an NFL season. How many quarterbacks one game into an NFL season would tell you that they're already better than last year after, uh, after last, like the year before when they won a title. They're 5-0. and oh. well, you, know what, you know what the Warriors started off as last year? They started off with one of the better starts in NBA history. I think they only lost two games in their first, like, 20, 15. They're 5-0. They're, oh. they're not 18-0. They're not 20-0. Oh. If they were 25-0 and oh, 
and he said something like this, okay, there's more merit. There's more merit and more understanding to what he's saying. They're 5-0. and They're a week and a half into the regular season, and he's saying something of, look, we're better than last year. And this goes deeper. And this goes deeper. And people don't hate Steph Curry. And I don't understand why people don't hate Steph Curry. I'm going to sit here and tell you why I hate Steph Curry. And last night after he shot a three in the fourth quarter, when the game wasn't even over and it was still a one-point game with about four minutes to go, he shot a three, turned around, and looked up and put his hands up in the sky with the three sign, making it as though he was the center of attention. Here's my problem with you, Steph Curry, and I know you're not going to be listening, and I know you don't care because you're making millions of dollars. You're an MVP in the NBA. You're an NBA champion. You've got way bigger things. You're probably in the gym right now working on your game, which I, I condone, and I think that's cool. I think it's awesome. I think it's great. But here's the thing you need to understand, Steph Curry, and the reason why people like me are going to be coming out of the woodworks more often and why it needs to be a regular situation, a regular case. Steph Curry is being anointed through places like SportsCenter, by Fox Sports, by, by, by the media as the next guy. And what I want people to understand about Steph Curry is it's like what he's doing is, is his mentality in the NBA He's trying to imitate the guy that, the little guy that has no chance, that's saying, look, here I am. Here's the issue, Steph. After you've, after you've cemented some form of success in the NBA, generally guys change their persona to match what they are now. Example. And I have a multitude of examples, and I have a multitude of angles from the hatred of Steph Curry that I have. First of all, I'm going to say good things real quick before I get into the examples. Steph Curry, you are on the verge of being the greatest shooter in NBA history. I will never debate that. I will never debate, and I might even debate for you that you're the greatest shooter in NBA history. I might actually debate for you in that standpoint because guys like Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Larry Bird, other sharpshooters that I'm not mentioning, you're unbelievable at that craft. And I'm talking step back jumper from three. I'm talking breaking guys down off the dribble from three. I'm talking about uh, getting, getting a mid-range jumper. You're one of the best, if not the best, to ever do that. Cool. Awesome. Great. That's cool. That, that, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with the fact that I can call you that because it's factually correct. It's, there's nothing incorrect about that statement. There's nothing wrong about calling you the best shooter. And there's nothing wrong with being the best shooter. But there's other things that come along with being the best player and being the best player. He won MVP of the league last year. I'm not knocking him for that. He was the best player in the league last year because he was on the best team by far in the league. But you can make the case, a lot like with Steve Nash in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, that his MVP season – was a season that really was very it – was, it was mediocre for an MVP season. Yes, Steph Curry was tops in the league in points, tops in the league, broke the record in three-pointers again. You know, he's, he's playing in an era where the three-pointer is accepted, and he's playing in an era where it's, it's more of a norm to shoot from outside than it was in the past. And now, again, the examples I wanted to bring up when it comes to, you know, Steph Curry and – what bothers me about him and why he hasn't changed his persona as a superstar and where he is now. A year ago, a year ago from right now, 
if Steph Curry was doing what he's doing, I would have no problem. Because guess what? He hasn't won anything. He hasn't proven anything. He hasn't been anywhere. He hasn't been healthy for an entire year for a while. He hasn't done nothing. The 27-year-old, seventh year in the league, MVP, NBA champion, Steph Curry today, what he's doing on the basketball court from a showmanship perspective is absolutely asinine. And it's incorrect and it's wrong. And what I mean by that wrong and incorrect and off is it's uncomfortable. It rubs me the wrong way as a basketball fan and an enthusiast. Again, best shooter in the league. Not going to debate that. But that's all you are, Steph. You can't do anything else. There's nothing else you can do outside of 18, inside of 18 feet. Inside of 18 feet, Steph, you're nothing. You don't do anything that gets us up in our seats other than maybe throw a ball nine feet in the air and make sure, or not even nine feet in the air, probably more like 18 feet in the air, and it drops in for a teardrop. That's about it. You can't do anything else that gets us up out of our seat outside of shooting it from three. So here's my issue with him, and these are the examples I wanted to give out. Kevin Durant. What did Kevin Durant do when he won an NBA title? Or excuse me, when he won the MVP of the league? Back in 2013, 2014, uh, the year that the Spurs and and Heat met in the NBA Finals. What did Kevin Kevin Durant do? After he won that, he gave thanks to his mom. He gave thanks to his team. He was humble. He was the person we all liked. The Kevin Durant we liked. The persona he put on was the liking of Kevin Durant. That very next season last year, granted he got hurt. Granted some things happened to him when it came to the offseason, when it came to leaving Team Bat, team USA, those kind of things, that happened. And so when he changed his persona, he changed it into, look, I don't give a damn. I don't give a fuck who you are. I'm Kevin Durant. I'm an assassin. I'm the Slim Reaper. I'm going to dominate you on the basketball court the way I want to, and I'm not going to give a fuck off the court who you are. And I'm not going to showboat because guess what? I'm the fucking man. I'm the second best, if not the best player in the league on some nights in the NBA. Kevin Durant changed his persona from the likable, nice kid, long-range shooter, good guy, to now the I don't give a fuck, I don't give a shit who you are, I'm Kevin Durant and I'm coming to kill you and your family. Kind of mentality that he has on the basketball court. And off the court, he don't give a damn. And that's his mentality, and he's changed that. Because guess what? He's won an MVP. He's successful. He's anointed as one of the best players in the NBA, as a top two player in the NBA. And no one's going to debate that, and no one has a problem with his mentality on and off the court because he's the man. He is the man. Steph Curry is doing the same things he did a year ago, the same things he's done his entire career, which there's no problem with. But if you're going to showboat after every single three-pointer and, and, and have that showboating as if, as if, oh, look at me, I'm here, woohoo, I'm little, I can do it. No, Steph, you're an MVP. You're an NBA champion. You know how many guys act that way who don't have an NBA title? A ton of them, because guess what? They haven't made it yet. They haven't made it. You've made it, Steph. Why do you need to keep shoving in people's faces? Why do you need to keep doing that? More examples. I can keep going. Barry Sanders, you know, I want to know something, and, and, and this is a debate I had. This is a debate I had with a guy on uh, on Twitter last night, and he's a he's a he's a fellow radio producer himself, and he and he does he does um, shows on Fox, which I, I love him. I, I love David Gascon, love him, love the guy. Here's the problem: 
here's a problem that I have with what he said. And he said, through the emotions of the game, what Steph does, I don't care about. It doesn't bother me. As long as he's not taunting the other bench. Okay. And showboating after every single three-pointer you make isn't, isn't taunting, isn't getting under people's skin, isn't asking to be ripped up as you shoot a three-pointer and step back and show off. That's not taunting the other bench. Okay, it might be not taunting, but it's showing them up. But here's the thing I want to mention. And, and the reason why he said it is because basketball is an emotional sport. Guys get, guys get excited. Blah, blah, blah. In the NFL, what do guys do after sacks? They get excited. What do they do after tackles? They get excited. What do they do after – pretty much after everything they do, they get excited. A, a, a receiver catches a touchdown, he does his dance in the end zone. When he gets the first down, he does the first down sign. When you, you have all these examples of guys that make emotional stuff – on the basketball. That's different, though. It's different because it's, it's a field sport. It's a bigger sport. It's, it's different. And why it's different is because a lot of those guys aren't big time the name guys. The name guys in the NFL, they hold the persona perfectly for who they are. And they know how to hold their persona. Steph Curry, his persona is, I'm going to shoot a three from the outside and go wham wham on your face because guess what? I just did it and I'm small and I know and no one thought I could do it. Steph Curry, you've won a title. You've done it. And I'm gonna give you the example that I was about to say. Barry Sanders. Why do I say the name Barry Sanders? They say sports are emotional and you get emotional about things. And what did Barry Sanders do after every fucking play that he made in the NFL? He handed the ball back to the referee. He probably said a quick little prayer to himself and his teammates loved him and he had complete humble ability. And I, and I know that's an extreme example of what I want Steph Curry to do, but this is what, this is what would make me okay with Steph Curry. If Steph Curry, cause his off the field, excuse me, off the court interviews, I don't have a problem with, I don't have a problem with the things he does or says or whatever. Cause that doesn't necessarily bother me. It's the fact that he consistently has to brag on the basketball court as if people don't expect him to do what he's done. Steph, you've proven you're the best at your craft. Why not expand your game? Why not, why not take your game inside? Why not improve in other places? Who cares about your size? Do it. Allen Iverson did it. Guess what? Allen Iverson is, 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 is six feet tall in heels. And guess what he did? He played basketball on a nightly basis with torn up legs, torn up, torn up arms, torn up shoulders, collarbones that were bruised, body parts that were bruised ankles, knees, you name it. And guess what Allen Iverson did? Allen Iverson played in an era where if you actually drove to the rack, you would get destroyed. And he also played in an era where defense was way more of a, of a, of a strength than it was looked at as like, oh, he plays defense, okay, cool. That's all he can do. No, no, no. He can do it all. And he's smaller than you, Steph Curry. And you know what his mentality was? Fuck it. I'm going to be the best player on the basketball court. That was his mentality. Steph Curry, you don't do any of that. You don't, you don't have that impact that Allen Iverson has. You don't have the skill set Allen Iverson has. In fact, if Allen Iverson was in his prime right now, he would make you look like a fool. Reason being is because he can actually get to the rim with skill and athleticism and pure strength. The guy was an above-the-rim player, whether we like it or not. And the guy had handles like no others at his time. Now, I would admit that maybe Steph Curry has similar handles, but when it comes to Allen Iverson's mentality on the basketball court, he actually had the mentality of a warrior. Whereas Steph Curry is this little guy. He's kind of like, Steph Curry's kind of like the guy with the bow and arrow. And he's sitting there shooting it. And then after he kills someone from about 200 yards out, 
He's like, woohoo, look at me. I did it. I'm the guy. Woo, yeah, look at me. Steph, you've won an NBA title doing that. Why do you need to brag? Why, why do you need to brag? It, it reminds me so much of the Seattle Seahawks. And the Seahawks' secondary, unbelievable. I'm not going to ever debate the fact that they're probably the greatest secondary ever. But the way they carry themselves, a lot like Russell Wilson, a lot like the way Russell Wilson carries himself, and he's getting better. Don't get me wrong. Russell Wilson's getting better at it. But Russell Wilson used to carry himself like, look at me, I'm a big deal. No one expected me to do this. The difference is, is now Russell's finally adjusting. Finally. And it's taken some time, but I will give him credit where credit's due. He's finally adjusting to his spotlight and understanding that he is, you know, that he is finally where he is as a quarterback, which is an average quarterback, but a guy who can carry the ship at a very high clip and can, can carry his team to wins. And, and that's all you ask of in a guy in Steph Curry. Because here's the thing. Steph Curry last year, people, he was MVP of the league, but he wasn't runaway MVP. You had multiple guys like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis. You had guys in the discussion all year long. And the only reason, Steph Curry, you won MVP last year was because your team had 67 wins and because you were the best player on that team. I'm serious. If the Warriors had 57 wins and Steph Curry would have done what he did, which was not playing four quarters about a quarter of the year, half the year, you're talking about a guy that wouldn't even have touched MVP. He would have been in the discussion, but he wouldn't have been it. There's no way he would have been it. James Harden would have took it. And so for, people, for him to have this perception that no one is, like, sticking up for him or caring for him, it rubs me the wrong way because it's like, dude, you're great. You're a great player. Like, you are great at what you do. You're the best probably ever at shooting the basketball. That's cool. I don't have a problem with that. But here's the thing. You're not Allen Iverson. You're not LeBron. You're not Michael. You're not, you're, not, uh, you're not Derek Rose from 2011. You don't get me out of your seat, Steph Curry, when you make a long-range three, when you cross someone up. That doesn't get me out of my seat. You know what gets me out of my seat? When I see a guy like Derek Rose – in his heyday before his knee injuries, take it to the rack and do a, do a back scratcher dunk over a big man. That gets me out of my seat. That makes me say, ooh and ah. That makes me wonder and recognize that athleticism in some people is a pure gift. You're not athletic. You're, you are, but you're not Russell Westbrook. You're not Michael Jordan. You're not LeBron James. You're not a gifted, freakish athlete. You are a very unbelievable shooter, which is an unbelievable skill to have and a great skill, obviously, to have in the NBA because that's what you do. You shoot basketball. But when it comes to your overall dynamic of your game, what have you done? Well, now let's, let's really break this down. What have you done, Steph? I was watching NBA 2K TV the other day, and they had one of the episodes, I think it was episode three or four, when they interviewed Shaq for the, you know, the, 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 the 3D stuff for getting the game ready and all that. And what did Shaq say in that situation? He said, hey, Steph, guess what? You know what? You know what's cool about Steph Curry? Because they were talking about the, the cover athletes and Anthony Davis, James Harden, and Steph Curry. And he said something about Steph that was perfect and dead on. And it's so funny how accurate Shaq is about players. He said, I think the question went like, what did you think of Steph in his year last year winning MVP in, in the championship? Shaq was like, you know, to, to put it in the perfect terms, it was cute. Steph Curry was cute last year, 
from a guy who in many people's eyes is probably one of the more dominant centers in the NBA, deservedly so, because you couldn't stop Shaq in his prime. You couldn't. You, you could not stop Shaq in his prime. He said that Steph Curry was cute, winning the MVP and winning the NBA title. And, and you could tell by the way he said it was like, look, and you could tell by, by his mentality of how he said it was like, okay, you play in my era, Steph Curry, you're getting undercut with the, with the mentality that you bring to the basketball court. Because it's not acceptable. You bring it to the streets, you're going to get undercut. You brag after every single three, you're going to get undercut. You're going to get injured. Someone's going to injure you, Steph. People don't take that kind of mentality lightly. They don't take that mentality. They don't accept that. If this was the 80s, Steph, you wouldn't even be in the NBA. If this was the 90s, Steph, you would be nobody. You would be a great shooter. Don't get me wrong. Unbelievable shooter. But that's it. You wouldn't be able to do anything else. Because no one would let you. And no one would allow that to happen. Because the mentality is different. You can't drive to the – it's kind of like baseball. In baseball, you can throw at a guy's head, and people wouldn't get offended by it back in the day because who cares. Nowadays, you, get, you throw at someone's head, oh, my God, he's headhunting. He's trying to kill him. What the hell is going on? Why is this happening? Blah, 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 blah. In the NBA, if you showed up another player, if you crossed him up like Allen Iverson or – you know, some other players that did, you know, uh, Mike Williams, you, you, name, you name the guys, you name the players. And if you did that and you came at the rack, expect it to get, like if you did a crossover between the legs and you shot a bucket and you made it and then you bragged about it and you came to the rack, expect on the next time you take it to the rack to get annihilated. And these days you can't do that. Guess what? Flagrant foul. Guess what? Ejected. So Steph is taking advantage of the fact that whenever he brags and gets excited that, oh, they can't touch me. You can't touch me. You can't do anything to me. Yada, 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 nah, 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 boo, boo. Okay, whatever. This is what bothers me about Steph. Steph, if you played 10, 15 years ago, expect to get annihilated at the rack. And no one would care. No one on the court would care. The crowd would be like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And he has this aura about him, Steph Curry, about his having his child – and in front of the camera, and being a cute and good dad and a good father, I'm not ripping Steph Curry as a person. I'm ripping him as a basketball player, as his game, and as his emotional game and what he provides to the court outside of shooting threes, outside of being the kind of player he is, when it comes to his mantra and his aura on the basketball court. Which, speaking of, let's go deeper into this circumstance. Instead of him putting out his emotional aura and emotional stuff – how about him as an entrepreneur in the game of basketball? Under Armour? Really? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna join Under Armour, and you're going to go out and brag and be like you're a big deal? Hey, Steph Curry, why don't you try and sign with Nike? Why don't you try and sign with Adidas? Why don't you try and sign with Jordan? You can't, because guess what? You got the Curry 2s. You got the Curry 1s and the Curry 2s. It took you six years to get a basketball, to get, to get a basketball shoe deal. Took you six years. Six years, Steph. And guess who it was with? It wasn't with Adidas. No, 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 no. It wasn't with Jordan. No, 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 no. It wasn't with Nike either. No, it wasn't with them. It wasn't even with Reebok. It was with, it was with Under Armour. You know what Under Armour's done? All they've done is, is, is hype, up, hype up their brand. and They're a good brand. I'm not going to knock them. But for this circumstance, they are getting knocked. They're not Nike. They don't run the stock market. They're not Adidas. They don't run, they don't run you know, with, with Derrick Rose and the other big names like John Wall. They, their shoes are garbage when it comes to basketball for Under Armour. They're garbage. 
Do you see Kobe rocking Under Armour? No. Do you see LeBron rocking Under Armour? No. Do you see Kevin Durant rocking Under Armour? No. I can keep going. Do you see John Wall rocking Under Armour? No. Who do you see rocking Under Armour? Bunch of little kids who don't have the money to pay for the Nike shoes. That's what you see. Steph, you're not a big deal. You're not. You're not a big deal from the entrepreneurial perspective. You signed with Under Armour. You know how many players play with Under Armour basketball shoes? Not very many because they're garbage. So your shoes are garbage. Have you ever been in a dunk contest, Steph? Have you, have you lit us up? Have you, have you awed us with your ability to go through the legs and dunk in a basketball game or at least off the court in a warm-up situation? Have you thrown alley-oops to yourself and dunked? Have you ever jumped and touched the top of a backboard before? Steph Curry, you're not, you're not an amazing specimen, which is cool. People can relate to that. People can relate to the fact that you can shoot the ball well, and that's awesome. That's great. I, I don't have a problem with that. But it's not a big deal because everybody can shoot a ball. They can throw a ball in a basketball hoop, and it can go in. Cool. You won a championship doing it. Congratulations. That's great. So you're, are you going to brag now? Are you going to brag about that, winning your one NBA championship? How about the San Antonio Spurs? Let's go for that, for example. I'm a Spurs fan. I'm going to just go out and get on my high horse about this. Manu Ginobili. You can make the case that he's a lot like Tom Brady. People don't like him because he plays dirty. He does. And I'll sit here and not deny that. I'm a Spurs fan. I'll keep it real. No, he's a dirty player. If Manu Ginobili wasn't on my team, I can guarantee you I wouldn't like him. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't hate him like I do Steph Curry, but I wouldn't like him because his game is a lot like a soccer player, like a European soccer player. It's just it's – just, it's froofy, it's irritating, it's annoying. And I get that. I, I totally get that. But at the same time, the dude plays hard. Dude doesn't show off. Dude doesn't make obnoxious plays up and down the basketball court constantly. He will take you to the rack and Eurostep you to death. Steph Curry's Eurostep? Uh, non-existent. I've never seen a Steph Curry Eurostep. How about Tim Duncan? I know different players, different positions. But how about Tim Duncan? Five NBA titles. How many times have you seen him brag? Back-to-back MVP seasons, NBA championship with an MVP. How many times did you see him brag? Hey, Steph Curry, how close have you come to a quadruple-double? Tim Duncan was two blocks away from a quadruple-double in game six of the 2003 NBA Finals. How close have you come, Steph Curry? And how many times did, did Tim Duncan brag during that time? How about Kevin Garnett? Talking about mentality. Kevin Garnett, before he went to the Boston Celtics, yes, speaking of CLNS Radio, Boston Celtics, you're in with the Hoopers log here, listening to CMO Buckets. But speaking of Kevin Garnett, this guy was one of the more intense, fake, tough guys in the NBA that you could make of when he was with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then he goes to the Boston Celtics. He wins a title. He's still intense. He's still the Kevin Garnett we all know and love. But he tones it down because he's finally won that title and yeah, anything is possible. I know about that. But after that, he toned it down. And he turned into a more solemn, acceptable Kevin Garnett and a guy that kind of grew up with that. And I know it took him about 10 years, 15, 10, 12 years to win a title. I understand that. It took him a long time. But at the same time, he changed his mentality after he won. Steph Curry is keeping that same mentality like, look, no one believes in me. No one, Dude, Steph, people believe in you. What are you talking about? You've won an NBA title. You're a champion. People are going to believe in you. Change it up a bit, man. Come on. What are you doing? Oh, and another thing, Steph. How many all-defensive teams have you been on? Just, just, just throwing it out there. How many times have all-defensive teams have you been on? How long did it take you, Steph Curry, to get into an all-star game? It took you about 
four or five years? About five? Yeah, four. In his fifth year, he went to an all-star game. Last year, he went to an all-star game. He's been to two all-star games. You know, how many MVPs in the all-star game have you won, Steph? That's another question. None. Russell Westbrook has one. You know, how many, how many, how many things have you actually done uh, when it comes to your ability? Oh, how many MVP awards do you have, Steph? LeBron has four. How many MB, uh, Michael Jordan is six. Magic Johnson, he has five championships. How many, it just, just think about this, people. When it comes to Steph Curry and the amount of attention he's getting, is it really warranted? With the amount of attention other guys got over time, does it really make sense from the standpoint of, look, Steph Curry is a guy, again, great shooter. He ain't the best thing walking in the NBA right now. Steph Curry is not a guy who's going to come out and absolutely dominate you in a basketball game and do it on a nightly basis. He's done it for these first five games. Cool story, bro. Cool. You know how many guys can dominate in a five-game span? There are so many guys in the NBA that can dominate in a five-game span. Yeah, what Steph Curry's doing is unbelievable. He's doing, he's doing it unbelievable. He's not Allen Iverson, dude. He's not Allen Iverson. Another thing, how tough is Steph Curry? Speaking of this era, I was talking about the 80s and 90s earlier. You know, if Steph Curry were to do what he's doing, shooting threes, dancing, chatting with his teammates, making high fives on the bench after he shoots a three, you know, showboating and putting his hands up in the air after every single freaking three he throws. Again, 80s and 90s, he would get dominated. Dwayne Wade, three NBA titles. Guy had a mantra when he was with, uh, I believe he was with Jordan, if I'm not mistaken. And if he wasn't with Jordan, he was with someone else. Eventually, he created his own brand. Who, Speaking of, by the way, he is doing way better off the court than you will ever do, Steph Curry. Ever do. Ever. I'll say that again. Ever. Dwayne Wade is doing better off the court than you will ever do, Steph Curry. And guess what he does? You know, you know what he does? His mantra when he first came into the league? Fall seven times, get up eight. That's toughness. That's basketball. That's what you do when you're a guard and when you want to be recognized. You become tough. You get to the rack, and you make it known that you're a big-time player. Also, Dwayne Wade won an NBA title in his third year in the NBA. Third year. Won an NBA title. Was MVP of the NBA Finals. I believe he had 37 points. Steph Curry, you didn't even win an MVP for your team in the NBA Finals. Andre Iguodala had to win it for you. So you're still not a big deal. You're not. And again, you have enough time to prove me wrong. You've been in the league for seven years. You know, you came from Davidson where you were the little guy. Don't get me wrong. You were the little guy. You still are a little guy. But, dude, you won an NBA title. You really think I'm going to give you enough props for that? I'm not going to give you anything until you've actually done it for multiple seasons. And if you're trying to prove it constantly over and over and over by bragging and doing it, you're just going to keep rubbing people the wrong way, and you're going to ask to get hurt eventually. You're just going to get asked to get hurt. Another thing I wanted to mention and talk about, you know, when it comes to historical perspective, again, Allen Iverson, I've mentioned him multiple times, Michael Jordan. There's other guys in the league who, are, who, who give the same mentality that you do, Steph Curry, but they haven't won anything yet. Damian Lillard, I was just bringing him up earlier on the show. Damian Lillard. Guess what? A guy who has that no-nonsense, get-in-your-face, rub-you-the-wrong-way type of mentality. The difference, though, he has nobody surrounding him. Nobody. Nobody's around Damian Lillard to help him win a title. Nobody's there to help him win. Damian Lillard is another guy that can create his own shot off the dribble and take it to the rack at the same time. He has an all-around game. 
And the guy has the mentality because guess what? He hasn't won anything yet. I can guarantee you if Dwayne, if, if, excuse me, if Damian Lillard won an NBA title, his mentality would change. And he wouldn't have that same mentality. You know why? Because he keeps it, his emotions stay under enough wraps where it doesn't quite rub you the wrong way. It's on the verge, but it doesn't quite rub you the wrong way. Russell Westbrook, with the way he plays, he can do whatever he wants. And I'm not just saying that because I am a fan of Russell Westbrook. I'm just keeping it honest. The dude is unbelievable. And, and David Gaston last night, I, don't have, and I, I, like David, I really like David Gaston. I don't have a problem with him. But his statement about Russell Westbrook not being a team player, 16 assists last night. So you're not a team player if you help your team get the ball. He had, eight, he had eight turnovers. I'll understand. I'll give that. And I'll understand the perspective of him and his career not being a team player. I get that. I do. I really do. I understand where people come from on that argument. But, I mean, why do people not like, why do people not like guys who actually take it to the rack and dominate near the hoop? Why do people love this new guy who, not even new, he's been in the league for seven years. Why do people like this little guy who can shoot threes, and who can, you know, oh, okay, I'm going to shoot a three now, and I'm, going to, and I'm going to brag about it because I'm a little guy. Why is that a big deal? Well, and this is the only thing I can really think of, you know. And, and here's another thing for those of you who are Steph Curry lovers. Speaking of this, over the last three years, he's had the most three-point attempts in the NBA. And we love Steph Curry. Why? Because he makes these little dribble-shake moves. He can shoot it from 30 feet out. And it looks harmless. And the, and the thing is, is, the reason why I bring all this up is because last night, again, that play he made where he shot a three from way out, and he made it, and he bragged. And it was all over Twitter, all over Vine, all over this. And I'm seeing Chris Paul throw dimes like I have never seen before. I'm talking about he made some passes that were unbelievable. When you talk about killing the game, when you talk about changing the complexity of the game, this is where the NBA can kill itself and shoot itself in the foot if they promote this too wrong. Steph Curry is unbelievable at what he does. Players can't, a lot of players can't do what Steph Curry does. That's a, that's a, that's a compliment to him, and he deserves it because he's really good at that step-back three. Really good. Really, really good, and his dribble skills are off the chain. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and deny that. But when it comes to his overall skill as a player, anything within 18 feet, he is non-existent when there's a defender in his face. Non-existent, because he can't do that. DeMar DeRozan can do it. Carmelo Anthony can do it. LeBron, you know, all these other guys can do it. Shoot, Russell Westbrook can do it. You got a guy like John Wall who can be in the three-point shootout, dunk competition, skills challenge on All-Star Weekend, and playing the All-Star game. But no one's talking about him, because he can't shoot from long range. This is where I get a little bit deeper into the situation. Who are his fans? Who are Steph Curry's fans? Who roots for Steph Curry? You know exactly where I'm going with this. Who shoots the three more often than not when you play out in the park? When you're out at the park where all the guys are out hanging out playing, what do people do? What, are the, what does the white guy do? Yeah, I'm going there. I'm going there with this. What does the white guy do? He shoots threes, right? What does he do? He shoots threes, right? What do all the multi-ethnic people do when they get to this point. What do they do? What do they do? They take it to the rack. They show you up, not show you up in a, in a, I'm talking about they take it to the rack with authority, athleticism, and they might slap the backboard on the way back and then take you back down the court and D you up. 
What does the white guy do? The generic white guy do when he plays basketball? Shoots a three, makes a couple of quick little dribble moves, shoots a three, and if he makes it, he gets all hyped up and excited. What does that sound like to you? What does that sound like to you? And I'm not comparing Steph Curry and saying that he is white or all this other stuff. Don't get into that nonsense and don't read into what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, what is where is his fan base? What do people really like to see? Getting into the racial discussion of America, you know, who holds the overall power? Just, just, just naturally, just don't deny it. The white man holds the power, and I hate to say that because I'm a white man. I hate to say that, but it's the facts. It just is. It just getting down to the nitty-gritty of the truth, and if your Disney ears can't handle it, it's the fucking truth. It's the truth. And who likes to watch Steph Curry? Who likes to watch basketball and think that this is the right way to play? The white man. And who's trying to build up Steph Curry as the next big thing? The white man. What makes Steph Curry such a big deal to many people? The white man. Who's on Twitter a lot? The white man. Who does a lot of the, the overall media uh, scrutiny and all that kind of stuff? The white man. Yeah, I'm saying it because it's the truth. The white man is building up Steph Curry to be the next big thing when in reality he's just a little guy like the white man that can shoot from the outside and gets excited because he made a shot. Steph Curry does that on every single play. He makes a three. He's the little white guy that, that doesn't think he can do it. And when he does, he gets jacked and excited on every single play. I don't want that in my NBA. I don't want that on a regular basis. From time to time, outstanding. For one year, like last year, Golden State winning their first title in 40 years, I don't have a problem with it. When I see it on a nightly basis on SportsCenter, on Fox, on, you know, on any other sports site that I watch or look at, and I see Steph Curry being promoted through Twitter, through all these other things, as oh, my gosh, Steph Curry is the best thing, the best point guard in the league. Are you out of your mind? You're out of your mind, right? This guy can only do one thing. And there are nights where he can pass the ball. There are nights where he can make plays. I'm not sitting here and saying he's a terrible player because he is a good player. He won MVP. He won a championship. But this is where it blows my mind and the double hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of all of this is you have guys in sports who are way better than Steph Curry as players in their individual sports. Barry Sanders. He doesn't brag. He doesn't make a big deal of it. Adrian Peterson doesn't brag, doesn't make a big deal about it. Granted, people don't hate Barry Sanders, but you know what I mean? People don't like Adrian Peterson for obvious reasons, and that makes – I'm not trying to compare stuff to Adrian. There's no comparison. But what I'm trying to say is there are guys in sports that people don't like just because of they're so successful. Hey, Steph Curry, what did you just do? You just won the MVP. You just won the NBA Finals. And you're still going to act like the white guy – that doesn't have a chance to play in the game in the park and make a three. How does that not rub you the wrong way as a purist and a basketball fan? How does that not rub you the wrong way? I'm not ripping Steph Curry as an individual. I'm ripping him as his persona on a basketball court and what he brings to the game. There are guys like Russell Westbrook who, when he makes plays to get to the rack, he does it with reckless abandon. John Wall is one of the more fluid players we've seen take it to the rack in a long time. You've seen a guy in Damian Lillard who can create his own jump shot, and he can still get to the rack with authority. 
They're, and Derrick Rose in his heyday, don't even get me started. And, and you got people putting up Steph Curry highlights on Twitter, and I'm talking, it, it gets to ad nauseum. It gets to a point where it's like, look, Steph can shoot the ball. Cool. 30 feet from outside, wide open. Cool. All right. Cool. Whatever. And then he brags about it. Like he's never made a three-pointer in his life. When you know that this is all this guy does is practice. I don't know about you, but when I'm a professional at something and I am so good at something and I am so darn good at it to the point where it's easy, I don't show off. At work when I'm typing up and I'm working on a manifest or I'm working on an Excel spreadsheet or something like that and I do it in a really quick time, I don't turn around and be like, hey, guess what? I did that in two minutes. Boom. Get on my level. Boom. I don't do that. So how does that not rub people the wrong way, especially after he's just won a title and an MVP in the league? If this is what people expect to see in the NBA and expect people to, to, to see this brand of basketball take a trend when it comes to people trying to make outside threes like Steph Curry and they think that this is the, the thing to watch, what kind of fans are we, are we, are we gravitating towards for the NBA? Steph Curry, amazing person, amazing individual. But the guy acts as though he's not a big deal in the NBA when he's all over the place. Is he really that, I guess, not ignorant, but ignorant to the sense that he's not being seen, that he's not being viewed, that he's not being, you know, looked at as though he is really a big deal? You know how many threes he shot last year? He made the most last year. He also shot the most last year. Seth Curry is not an abnormally unbelievable good shooter. He's just promoted to be that way. Now, I've said it. He's the best shooter in the league and probably ever. But he's not, percentage-wise, not so much better than everybody all time. He didn't break a record in in three-point percentage anytime soon. The guy also does shoot a lot of three-pointers. I just mentioned he has shot the most three-pointers in the last three years than anybody in the league. 646 threes last year he shot. I want you to think about that. There are 82 games in a basketball year. 646 is the amount he shot. That is damn near seven to eight, seven or eight three-pointers a game, which means that he consistently shoots a ton of threes per game. And it's most, more than anybody in the league by far. And he makes the most in any one league. Okay, cool. He can shoot the three, but it's more of like the more you shoot, the more you'll make. Again, where does this mentality come to him thinking that he needs to brag every time he shoots a three-pointer or he breaks someone down and shoots a three-pointer? That's your game, dude. Cool. Now what I want to see Steph Curry do, and this is to help him out, because more people like me are going to come out and be like, bro, you're irritating. Bro, stop. Bro, really, really. It's going to turn into that, Steph. Whether you like it or not, people are going to start turning the corner and thinking, what are you doing? Why are you bragging all the time every time you do something amazing? You know you're an MVP, right? You know you're an NBA champion, right? You know you're a big deal, right? Like, like Steph, you're a big deal, right? Like, you don't need to, to shove it down people's faces, right? Like he, it, and, it, and it rubs me the wrong way because he is in the spotlight, and yet he says things like, we're already better than last year, 5-0. and oh. We're already better than last year. We're already better. I know he's in the zone when he's saying that. 
And I know he's in a different aura when he says that, and I get that as an athlete. But I'm going to tell you this. If I played in the NBA and I was a defender, like let's just say Tony Allen, Matt Barnes, you know, who else? Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, you know, DeMarcus Cousins. Who else is a nasty basketball player that really doesn't have any sort of, you know, threat for human life that just will destroy you on a basketball court? Let's just say, for example, Steph Curry pulls up and does that again over and over and over. I'm just telling you, people, expect some backlash eventually because it it bothers me and it, it makes me hate him because he thinks he's so much better than everybody else when he shoots the ball. And for his fans to consistently retweet his stuff and be like, oh, my God, Steph Curry's the greatest thing ever. Let me, let me, let me, I want to hit to them real quick before I get off this rant. I'm going to attack the Steph Curry fans right now. Golden State, your first title you've won in 40 years. Cool. I think that's great. I think it's awesome. I think it's cool. You're excited. I'm not knocking the fact that you've won a title because you have. Cool. That's awesome. Good for you. You've won one title in 40 years. I'm going to repeat that again. 40 freaking years. Steph Curry had one amazing year. One. And with the game he plays, you know what the mantra is in basketball? You live by the three, you die by the three. And again, he lived by it last year. He had the most three-pointers attempted. He made the most three-pointers. He won the MVP, and he won an NBA championship. Yes, he did it. Cool. Great. Here's the thing. It's eventually going to fade. It will. It will eventually fade, and it will eventually go away. And the issue with his fans are, with these comments, and again, these are the ignorant fans, the fans that don't understand the game the way I do, or diehard, or true basketball fans, or not just basketball fans, but old school basketball fans, or not even just old school basketball fans, purists, like coaches and things like that, they're not going to ever teach to what Steph Curry does, and they're never going to really fully accept what Steph Curry does, because what Steph Curry does is unorthodox from what you expect in a basketball game. And that's cool, and that's what makes him unique, and that's what makes him fun to watch. But for when people say that he is the best thing ever and it's because they live in the Bay Area and this might be where I become more and more understanding of Seahawks fans. And if you know me, I'm a Vikings fan um, and I don't like the Seahawks fans at all. I just don't. I don't like Seahawks. I don't like Seahawks anything. It bothers me because of how much fandom it is. It's bandwagony. It's irritating. The point is they hate the 49ers with an unlogical perspective because, oh, my God, they're our rivals. Hate them. And it's, and it's hate that's like actual hate. Like they don't like people will fight. Like it's bad. Kind of like the Dodgers and uh, kind of like the Dodgers and, and Niners. Di- kind of like the Dodgers and, uh, and Giants fans, how they're just unridiculously out of control, hate each other. Um, it's like that almost with Seattle and uh, 49ers. But I, I'll digress. i get back to my point. I'm starting to understand that logic though. Because these Golden State fans – not all of them. We got a couple of them that listen here, and I think they're awesome, and I think they're, and, I, and and they're they're really logical and they're cool. But I'm talking about the ones that don't watch a lot of basketball, and they have more power than those that do. It, 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 you know where I'm coming from? Do you know what I'm saying? And they make these comments like Steph Curry is the greatest thing I've ever seen, and he's just he makes plays that I've never seen before, and he's the greatest thing ever. Your opinion is valid 
in America. Good for you. Cool. I won't, I won't knock you for your opinion in having that because when it comes to being a shooter, you're correct. He is the greatest shooter, one of the greatest shooters ever, top five in my book right now. He might even be number one by the time he retires. But when it comes to saying that he's the greatest thing that you've seen, let's hold on for a second. Steph Curry isn't even in the discussion of top ten point guards. Last night, a guy in Chris Paul is known by many to be a top ten point guard of all time. You want to know why? Because he can actually lead the, he can actually be a floor general. He can actually pass the ball. He's fundamental. He has skills like no other when it comes to dribbling the ball, passing the ball out of any situation. That's a point guard. Another situation is you have Tony Parker. Four NBA titles, by the way. Four. Four NBA titles. You know what Tony Parker's living death has been? Driving to the rack and getting annihilated on the way up. And he's still playing. And he's still doing it. And people don't say about how he's the greatest thing they've ever seen. People's fans of Tony Parker don't say he's the greatest thing they've ever seen. They don't over-exaggerate his greatness. Then you have a guy in uh, Isaiah Thomas. Another unbelievable, and I'm talking about Isaiah Thomas, the Detroit Piston, Isaiah Thomas. Unbelievable defender. Quick, fast, smart with the basketball, fundamental. People don't say that he's the greatest power, uh, point guard they've ever seen, but he's always in the discussion of top five because of his defense, because of his ability to get to the rim, ability to shoot, ability to do it all, really. Gary Payton, a guy who could play defense like no other, one of the few guys to ever stop Michael Jordan in the finals, to slow him down, not stop him, but slow him down. That says something. Can Steph Curry slow down LeBron? Uh that, that was a very laughable joke. And if you didn't laugh at that, or at least have a hint of laughter, and you think Steph Curry still is good enough with the guys like Isaiah Thomas and, you know, these other guys that I'm, I haven't even mentioned, Magic Johnson, John Stockton. John Stockton would pull Steph Curry's pants down and destroy him. John Stockton was one of the best point guards to ever do, and it wasn't just because it, he, had, uh, he had Malone. It wasn't because he had Moses Malone. Or excuse me, he had uh, Carl Malone. Excuse me. It was because Stockton was an unbelievable defender, a great shooter himself in an era where shooting wasn't the, the priority. He had other point guards in Jason Kidd, triple-double machine. I think he has the most triple-doubles all time, if I'm not mistaken. Steph Curry ain't getting any triple-doubles anytime soon. He barely ever gets a triple-double because he can't rebound. He's too weak to go inside. So, is it... When it comes to the Steph Curry fan and their Ill, Ill, illogic perspective, come, just come to grips with the fact that he's just a great shooter, please. And, yes, he can dribble. He can break people's ankles. I've seen the vines. I've seen the plays. He is outstanding. But he is not the best player on the planet. He's not. When you have Under Armour as your, as your shoe deal, when you don't even make the biggest contract in the NBA – when you constantly brag like you're the little guy that, can't, that, that just barely makes it, when you win an NBA title and you still have that mantra, you're not going to get respect from me until you change it, until you change your mantra of how you approach the game. I'm not going to have respect for you, Steph Curry. I hate you, Steph Curry. You know why? Because guess what? You don't understand what it means to be a champion. You don't understand what it means to hold the mantra of being a champion. 
If you win back-to-back titles this year, if you win 70 games this year, if you win this amount of things, which is another thing that bothers me. It's not Steph Curry. It's the fact that people are comparing this team from last year to the 72-10 the 72 and 10 Bulls from 96. Can we stop it? Can we, can we stop the insanity with the comparisons between him and Jordan? Steph Curry is not the new big thing in the NBA. He's not. He's not the next big thing, big thing in the NBA. He's been in the league for seven years. No one was talking about this guy when he got drafted out of Davidson. No one. He's only been a big deal the last two years. And so for people to think that Steph Curry is the greatest thing since sliced bread, you're out of your mind. You're out of your freaking mind, man. And this will be the year. And again, he has a lot of time to prove me wrong. He can win the MVP again this year. He can win the NBA title this year. He can do a lot of things this year that could prove me wrong. And it wouldn't shock me if he did. It really wouldn't. Because if he did, then he'd start to move me. He'd start to move me and be like, okay, back-to-back NBA title, you know, with the team he has. And if he wants to keep doing his little braggadocious thing, I'm still not going to like it, but I'll grow more and more respect to it. It's a lot like Kobe. If you know me as a Spurs fan, I hated Kobe back in the day. But guess what? Guy's been on the same team for 20 years. Guy is a top five scorer all-time, top three scorer in the NBA all-time, top two maybe, top three. And a guy who is the closest thing to Jordan we've seen. And he gets my respect from the standpoint of he made it through a controversy in his career. He rose through it, played great basketball, unbelievable basketball for about a five, six-year stretch, got hosed in multiple MVP conversations, Guy won a championship after Shaq left and went to Miami and won a title when it was really him that orchestrated that. I gained respect for Kobe over time. I can still gain respect from Curry over time. But where he dives into his aura of him being of people thinking he's the best player in the league, just because he has an MVP thing stamped to him, you're out of your mind and you're insane. Incorrect statements for that reason alone. Steph Curry isn't even near the discussion of being a top 10 player in the NBA when it comes to his talent. When it comes to his shooting, he's the best in the league, no, no doubt. But when it comes to his overall talent, and I'm not talking offensively, I'm talking, I'm talking you know, down low presence, rebounding, skill set. You know, outside of his dribbling and his shooting, what does he really do? He doesn't play amazing defense. He doesn't, he doesn't awe you on the defensive side of the ball. He, doesn't, he can't play you down low. You know who can do that? And let's focus back on these kind of people. LeBron James can do that. You got guys like Tim Duncan throughout their career could do that. Kevin Garnett could do that. But people weren't saying these kind of things about them when they were going, going through this situation. Why? 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 Why do people not say it? You know why people don't say it? Because guess what? Guess what? One of the reasons is the race card. Because guess what? White boys can shoot. What are white boys expected to do when they get to the basketball court? They're expected to shoot. What does Steph Curry do? He shoots. What does Tim Duncan, what does Kevin Garnett, what does LeBron, what do they all do? They all do athletic, unbelievable, artistic plays that only – Non, you know, non-white boys can do. 
That is no knock on any race or anything. It's just the fact. And as a white guy, I can sit here and tell you that that is the reason why white people love Steph Curry, because he can shoot the ball out of the gym, and that's what all white guys want to do. They want to be able to shoot like that. So they love him because he's the little guy that did it. I'm sorry, people. That doesn't necessarily mean you're the best basketball player on the court. We'll end with that, and uh, that's the end of the show. And if you love my rant, feel free to follow me on Facebook. Uh, not Facebook, but uh, on, uh, on Twitter at SimoBuckets253. And, uh, again, if you want to listen in on, next, on, on tomorrow's show, feel free to do so. I wanted to get that out in the open because I'm fed up with the fact that people think that Steph Curry is the next best thing when in reality he's just a jump shooting machine that, yes, a great jump shooter. But outside of that, no. And for people to give as much hype as they're giving to this guy of being the next best thing, slow down. He's only in year one. If he does this for five years, I'll shut my mouth and I'll say I was wrong till the, till the day the cows come home. I will. But my hatred for him is through the roof considering his showboating mentality and the way he plays the game is not the way that great players do it. And I don't want to see him on any of yours uh, first-team All-NBA this season. All right, we're out of here. The next show will be on Friday, November 6, 2015, and expect a breakdown of the Thursday games. We'll get into that controversy. We'll get into that talk, and we'll show you how it was on Thursday, and we'll recap and preview the weekend for you. Yes. We'll get all that going for you. It should be a good time. It should be a fun time. And expect Andrew to be back, and hopefully we'll have a short show and get to it for the weekend. Thank you again for listening. My name is Timo Buckets. I'll see you all on Friday, November 6, 2015. Thank you again for listening.